Thanks for listening to Most Certainly True, a podcast of Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Milwaukee. It has been said that history is really His story, the story of God showing His grace and mercy to the people He has created. That grace and mercy is on clear display in the Gospels as we see our Jesus living and dying for the sins of the world. But His story continues. The story of the early Christian church is his story as well. We are glad that you have chosen to read that story with us, as together we read chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. We'll review the stories of God's grace and mercy on his infant church, and celebrate that same grace and mercy that we know and experience today. We are glad to have you studying and growing with us. Here's the next episode of our podcast and the discussion of the next chapter of the book of Acts. We're back, and we're so thankful that you're back to hear another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Pastor Jim Hebner. How are you today, Pastor Hebner? I'm fine, Pastor Hockman. Great to be with you for another podcast episode in the Book of the Acts of the Apostles, a fine and beautiful day it is, as we're, uh, I suppose, weather comments can be irrelevant by the time people listen to this, or maybe it will, or if they listen to it later, but it uh, feels like summer. You it know? has been summer. Ha- have yeah. you been enjoying your summers thus far? Well, it's it's been, uh, if you're looking at the calendar right now, I haven't really had a chance to be outside very much. There's some other duties and responsibilities that caused me to do some traveling, and you're more indoors than out, so it'd be nice to start getting outside a little bit more and did experiencing I, the did good I weather. Did I catch from a different conversation that there's a golf game in your future, hopefully your near future? Uh, hopefully. That would be. It's been <laughs> way long, so that's um, uh, health issues we got solved, so I can try to try to do that again. That would be fun. That's okay. That's great. If you know Pastor Hebner, you know that golf is a favorite <laughs> pastime. It so is, yeah, yeah. That's been there's been a little hiatus. Is it here. too much to say a hole in your heart for the last uh, <laughs> the last couple of seasons? Yeah. Maybe that's too far, but you've certainly been missing yeah. getting a chance to do that. So I'm excited for you yeah. to go out. Well, thanks. Yeah. Are you I'd nervous that uh, you think you're going to pick right back up, or are you going to have to work back to get to your your regular? Yeah, score? I, it'll it'll be an interesting test. It's been almost a couple of years, so. Um, some would think it's like riding a bike, but there's the physics of that interesting little sport can can be tweaked in the smallest little way, and you have yeah. problems. But you're new and improved now, so right. it, should, it should be better, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least uh, that's what I would like to think. In my mind, maybe. But my, uh, it'll my, be fun. My supervising pastor always told me, because uh, I kind of casually golfed when I was serving as a sure. vicar, as an intern, part yeah. of my seminary training. Um, so I never really invested a ton except for greens fees, obviously. Yeah. Um, he said, Vicar, get yourself some golf shoes. It'll shave three strokes off your game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, eh, maybe. I don't know if I'm consistent enough yeah. to, to find that. But there are, there are some I know who would, no such thing as a bad day golf and doesn't matter the way, you know, just it's when you're out there in the beauty of God's creation oh, yeah. just happened. They don't get too worked up about it because I mean, there's nothing you can perfect. It's just uh, evidence every time I play golf of what a what a frail human and uh, imperfect I am. But yet uh, 
it's enjoyable to be able to do some physical activity. So that was kind of a refrain of doing things outside in Alaska that no matter how they go. Yeah. There were some beautiful golf courses where you're tee box and there's a mountain or oh, a sure. riverbed. Yeah. And, um, but same thing with go out fishing and it doesn't matter if you catch anything or not. Sometimes I forgot that I was fishing, standing yeah. waist deep in a, in a river and staring up at the snow capped mountains. It's and a like, beautiful scene. And oh yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Trying to right. catch fish. <laughs> what God has made, huh? And, For sure. Uh, no matter where you are, you can find the beauty in God's creation. It's not, it doesn't have to be mountains or a stream or a beautiful lake like we have in our community, but uh, let's stop and take a look around and see what God has done. It's really, really unique. And that that God who made it all would want to want to have us as a part of this world, not just to, you know, trundle along and suck out whatever kind of enjoyment we can but to actually live and care for the world he made, but especially to enjoy the connection we have with him and share that so that other people can end up eventually, you know, ultimately that's our goal. And that's really what it's fun to do in this book of the Acts of the Apostles because you have that resurrection theme, this life eternal theme that just keeps popping up again and again. It's throughout the whole book of, of Acts and certainly comes true in this chapter, right, when we're going to take a look at chapter 8 today. And we had sure. seen the 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 beautiful testimony of Stephen as he enters heaven in this that sad but unique way and being under persecution and killed actually, and then uh, persecution is pressuring on other people, and it's not in detail. But this chapter opens up with what's the impact of that? You know, while the apostles are hanging around Jerusalem, there are others who then have to be scattered. Oh, I got to leave my home. But they just would make the best. How does the good news of Jesus get out to the world? Well, that's persecution caused them to move. One of the ways, yeah. The devil yeah. is behind that persecution trying to squash. Sure. And the one enthroned <laughs> in heaven laughs as the gospel <laughs> as the gospel spread. I, yeah. I quoted that um, in one of the previous episodes. But yeah. how God uses even, even the attempts to thwart his plans to... Yeah continue to have his will be done there's an ominous little line then in that beginning of the, in this beginning of the chapter about uh, Saul later known as Paul because this is just he's hanging out and he's doing bad stuff and he's out to arrest Christians well we got to get through this chapter and then we'll get into the chapter nine and find out what God did about that right it'll be fun to take say, a look at too setting the scene for yep. what the powerful gospel can yeah. do. Again, a reference to the fact that this is a book that, you know, you start reading it because it just makes you, oh, what's going to happen? And Did then, you read ahead? You read ahead, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, no. Um, so, to, so, to, so to know that's coming is is part of the fun of reading the book. And in the meantime, then we dive into chapter eight and in focus is this unique character named Philip. And he's one of those who were chosen to assist, but also had not only some practical uh, church work assistance for the apostles, but then also must have been on an evangelist side of things, a proclaimer that God used. And uh, yeah, and you can see really how the, those things go hand in hand. Yeah. That here's a guy who spent time in the Word. He wanted to serve. Right. He was respected by <laughs> the rest of the church. And so, um, I guess we're not officially told that he was 
called were we told was he sent out officially well or is it, this just philip that's living his a, that's he went down a, to a city in samaria yeah, and proclaimed the messiah there you know that so what brought a, him there and, but there's you know that there's a call involved whether it's from the church or directly from god when you have the uh, the actions that he did not only in the middle of that land in samaria but then when he was when he gets sent to the to deal one-on-one with the uh, the uh, official from ethiopia right. and then later on god pulls him out and takes him along the the coastline to do some more work. So there's really four episodes in the life of Philip that are in this chapter that are all right. unique. And it's, uh, and it's, you, it's fun to see how that you can just see the gospel flowing from him. And, and this is yeah. this part of who he is and, and how that manifests itself then in service and then in gospel ministry. And right. And we um, had talked about the fact that the Bible book acts is divided in these, concentric circles of the gospel going that there's seven of the chapters are centered in Jerusalem and then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 you know in Jerusalem and then Judea Samaria that's their territories around Jerusalem chapters 8 to 12 and then to the ends of the earth chapter 13 so now we've just entered into that second of the three sections of the book phase two right (laughs) and so we then what happens Philip is out now in an area where huh, Jewish people would not hang out very often, right? Because the Samaritans, you know, we all know and podcast listeners know the story of Jesus at the well in of Sychar and talking to the Samaritan woman. And you always have that background of these Samaritans are very likely descendants of Israelites who were the dregs of society left behind after Babylonian attacks and exile and and intermarrying with natives. And so they were always considered by the Israelites who moved back to be a lower class of people. Right. They were looked down on. And that's yeah. why you have um, the, the full Jewish people in Judea and then also Galilee. But then there's this animosity because yeah. they're, they're in like the middle. The cousins, right? They're the... Yeah. Kind of turn their backs on things, but and weren't. there was a lot of bigotry and bias yeah. against Samaritans. And then you know that's why not only Jesus himself says, "No, my love is for everybody. I don't care what you're saying. I'll talk to prostitutes, tax collectors. I'm going to go talk to Samaritans right in the middle of their land." You know that it's a beautiful story there. And then he tells a story about what it means to care for your neighbor, and demonstrates that he tosses into the story that a Samaritan does it better than anybody else. You know, right. that's just a little bit of a turn the knife. Yeah, a turn, yeah. <laughs> you got to. A smile at that in which Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So, but here's Philip, right, in Samaria, and great joy in the area. And then we have, <laughs> it's one of those things that um, maybe is not the most well-known Bible account from the book of the Acts of the Apostles with this character named Simon, who is uh, practicing sorcery. You know, so what do you, what do you, read uh what do you think of when you hear sorcery what comes to mind for you pastor it seems like um <laughs> demonic activity right <laughs> I'm yeah some sort of medium or spiritist yeah I, witchcraft would that be a word yeah. i don't you know what i mean it's us kind of goofy stuff incantations and all that you know is there seances i you know how but goofy stuff like that right, right? playing around with the occult we would say maybe today. Yeah. And that's Simon, right? So he's impressed at least early on when he sees all these miracles happening and here's the message and he's following Philip around. So let me stop you there and just ask you a question. Yeah. Is he impressed because 
what do you what's your opinion you think he's impressed because now there's these other people who have this power and they're kind of like me or does he see them as like they're legit i'm kind of faking my way through this and look at this they're doing it without this uh Sorcery. Well, you know, it says in verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astounded by the great signs. But he gets off track. Right. So did he actually come to faith? And was he, you know, the attracted by the message and miracles? But they're always together. And whichever came first in his mind. So are we to say that he was faking it all along and was an unbeliever or was a believer and then fell away because he was very self-oriented and wanted to have actually buy some of that power. It's, I, I don't know if we can look into his heart, but at the, the, the end of the story is not right. pretty. Right. I, I guess I was referring to the initial attraction. Like yeah. here, he's the guy that can whatever, tell the future, do these powerful things. And yeah. And all of a sudden the disciples come into town and they can do it too. And what's, What's going on with that? Well, it's, you know, early on, they, in verse 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. So that has to come from Satan or sleight of hand or something. But when they believed Philip, right, as he preached, they were baptized, and then Simon himself believed and was baptized. So did he stop what he was doing, you yeah. know, as he a believer? And then later on, he thinks, you know, I want to do the stuff that the apostles are doing. I'd like to buy that. Right. There's the problem. Because then he's thinking it, it, of himself. It's almost it's, implied like he stopped doing the power things and and followed, but then yeah. longed for that again and was seeking to do it through, well, the disciples obviously have this ability, and yeah. I liked doing that and the attention that it brought me, so I want to have that right. now maybe on the good side. How do I get that? It hasn't come to me, so yeah, yeah. maybe I just need to have a bribe and... If I'm not going to do it my old way, right? demonically but I, but or whatever, I do it. but I still want to do it. And that gets us to the little conundrum part of the chapter because it's wedged in between the actions of Simon, who we would think maybe listened and stopped his sorcery, came to faith, and later on wants to rejuvenate his little magic tricks or whatever, but to do it with spirit and wants to buy his way in. So we have this business of people coming to faith, and and then a lot of people get a little tripped up about that because in chapter 8, you know, you have um, in verse 15 and 16, the apostles in Jerusalem heard, and they sent Peter and John, who arrived, prayed that they might receive the Spirit because the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They simply were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter placed hands and they received the Spirit. And so what? what is this? I and, thought and, the Spirit comes in baptism. Right, right. And so the Holy Spirit does. But the outward signs right. that the Spirit had worked faith in those days very often were accompanied with some of those more miraculous gifts. Yeah, this is this is like a parallel to... The Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples on Pentecost. Exactly. They they had the Spirit. They had faith at that time. Right. But then the Holy Spirit was received by them in a different and, and outward way. 
Well, it, it and then you know we talk about gifts of the spirit. We still do in First Corinthians chapter twelve, Romans chapter twelve, and you know they're mentioned. And, and we all believers have at least one, if not a mix, of spiritual gifts, special gifts in the spirit to work together with each other to further the kingdom. But in the early church, they had those miraculous gifts, direct message from God, the ability to do miracles, and speaking in a foreign language you hadn't previously studied. Those miraculous gifts were necessary when the scriptures weren't done yet. The apostles and other believers were given these gifts so that the good news of Jesus could get out where it hadn't been before. Once the New Testament is written, it seems as though those miraculous gifts disappear. And it was more common from the impression we get in reading through Acts that Christians who would come to faith, which is a working of the Holy Spirit through his word, would then be given some of these miraculous gifts, whether it's a direct message from God, whether it's a miracle thing, or whether it's speaking a language you hadn't studied. And those were evidences outwardly that that the Spirit had worked in their heart. And that certainly could well have been the case for the people in Samaria who came to faith, but the problem was the bias and bigotry of the apostles and Jewish folks in Jerusalem who hated Samaritans. So if you're Peter and John or the others, I don't care if you're on the apostle level or not, but if you're in Jerusalem and you hear that Samaritans have come to faith in Jesus and are on the same level as you are, Having you're same identical, case, right? you just can't believe that because that's not right. Because I get Jesus, okay, he came for me, okay, he came for the whole world, but not really Samaritans. You know what I mean? You just... This is another Jonah thing, right? Yeah, this go, is go not. Go preach to Nineveh. No, uh, I don't want to. No, I don't want them. I don't want them to come to faith. They, then they're going to be like be the me. Same. Yeah, it says I don't know. Then they're going to be on the same level, and yeah. I can't imagine in my wildest yeah. dreams that a Samaritan would be on my level. That's not God would never allow that to happen, right? Because we're special. We're the Israelites. We're the Jewish people, right? And to have people come to faith who are not. Okay, that happened on Pentecost. At least they got out of town, they left, because the festival's over, they went home. But, you know, our neighbors had these icky, pewy, blech, Samaritans. Gross. You know, that's like what's... Uh, they're on the level of what gets stuck on the bottom of my shoe, <laughs> you know? Especially when I go through a pigsty. You know, that that's what I think is... That's just... And that they're spiritually on an equal level with me and going to be on God's love that much and go to heaven... That just can't happen. So so what God did was not for the Samaritans or anybody there, but for the sake of the apostles. He delayed the outpouring of the outward signs that the Spirit worked faith in their heart. Spirit worked faith in their heart. But the outward evidence of it, he delayed pouring out those signs until the apostles from Jerusalem could get there and see it and then go, oh, these people are on the same level as we are. Duh. You know? <laughs> And it, you think it got into Peter's thick head? It took him to chapter 11 before he's got to have this vision from the heaven, you know, with the sheet coming down, a little spoiler right. alert that's coming. All you right. know, still, still wrestling with this whole, the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world, Savior of the world. People who are not Jewish are on God's radar list for love just as much as I am, you know. And that was what we see here in chapter 8, that 
It wasn't the problem that the Spirit wasn't working. It wasn't pouring, like he didn't give gifts or that baptism in Jesus didn't work and create faith. No, it all was there. It's only the outward evidence that the Spirit created faith, which was more common in those days with these miracles, that the delay in those gifts was not for any other reason but for the sake of the apostles who got there to prove to them, hey, right. the Spirit works just as well here as in Jerusalem. And that that attitude that Peter couldn't shake, that's the heart of when he is opposed by Paul in a future chapter yes. too, because it's he withdraws when the Jews are around and doesn't treat the Gentiles the same way. We're on a better level, we're on a higher level, yeah, whatever. How's this going to be received? And we'll we'll talk about that when we get there too. Yeah. But but yeah, you can see this. And you can, in a way, sympathize. Well, that's disgusting Galatians, so it won't be in the book of that. But it's <laughs> okay. just right. Yeah. Um, you can sympathize. You know, the God's yeah. chosen people, you're distinct, you're separate, and now changes. <laughs> Suddenly everybody, right? <laughs> and now got to get used to that. And yeah. what are the implications of Well, of then what are the implications for us, right? So, you know, we don't want to be a church. We talked about our church body in one podcast here not too long ago about how oh, we're connected with believers around the globe. But for us in any way, shape, or form to harbor bigotry, we'd like to think no, especially if we're on the Caucasian side of things. Oh, no, I'm not biased. Do we have hidden biases in bigotry? Do I need to check my own heart every single day with everyone I meet? I don't care if they're economically different than I am or have a skin color different than I am or an age different than I am or height or weight. No, these also are candidates for grace, and I need, I, uh, the chief of sinners need it more than anybody, as does everyone else. And I can learn from other cultures and learn from other people and uh, not to assume that ours is better or we're, you know, and that's another lesson right here in chapter eight. It'll come again in this book, but it's certainly here. And the, the Apostle John and Apostle Peter, as representatives of the Church of Jerusalem, had to get there because if they were told the Samaritans not only came to faith, but the Spirit is pouring out these gifts and they can speak in loud their languages and they can do hear them, they would just be in Jerusalem. They'd say, that's crazy. You're making that up. I don't believe it. So, and they would stay in Jerusalem. But no, they were sent to investigate this report. Samaritans are coming to faith. And then when they see at that time the Spirit pouring out the gifts, they just go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oops, sorry, Lord. I apologize for being so arrogant and self-centered and uh, to think that we're better. So it's just, it's an important Bible account. It really, it's it's not like the Samaritans were less believers, but it really, this delay in miraculous gifts was for the sake of the apostles. And it's something that if you're a Bible reader or a podcast listener, you're going through this, it might strike you as odd at first. So it's nice to be able to podcast, talk about this and give right. people some background. So the reference of their baptism, it says they simply were baptized into the name of Jesus. Yeah. That's not saying that they had a non-Trinitarian baptism. Correct. What that's saying is they came to faith through baptism. Correct. But the pouring of the Spirit hasn't right. come on them yet. To be baptized in the name of Jesus means that you're given the forgiveness of sins, which is your baptism and mine. Right. Right. And it's a Trinitarian baptism. There's no, you know, because how do you separate the Son of God, the God-man from the Father and the Spirit? You don't. You can't divide our God up. So they have they receive a proper bed, just like John the Baptist, right? It was a full baptism, full offer of forgiveness of sins, but only set up for a time until Jesus instituted his. So in this case, it's a full baptism. It works. The only thing missing was these outward evidences of miraculous gifts from the Spirit, which, again, aren't around anymore either. Um, but back then, it, the delay in that outpouring was for the sake of the apostles. So. 
Very good. But a full, powerful baptism it was. And what a great time for the apostles to rejoice and to get their, you know, through their thick heads. Yeah, these people are just as important as we are. And well, the the chapter, this little chunk ends with uh, Simon. Now, did he, does he end up in faith again when he's told, you know, you can't buy this? And he's condemned outright to stop that, you know, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Repent. Perhaps he'll forgive you. Now, forgive you, not referring to forgiveness of sins, but referring to Simon and his repentance. That's the perhaps. Uh, and Simon then says, pray to the Lord for me. So does he end up in, I don't care to guess that because I can't be God and look into hearts. But I do find it interesting historically that if you transport out a thousand years plus, 1100, 1200, 1300 in the Christian church in Europe, there were times when the message of Jesus was not being clearly proclaimed, you know, for centuries. And the message that you can help Jesus along or earn your way to heaven was the dominant theme. And one of the things that happened was the outward, visible church and and having power positions and leadership in the church was a big deal for those who wanted to just have power. They weren't there to serve and to care and to proclaim the saving love of God. They were just in it for themselves. There were people who maybe not trained well, wanted to buy church leaders. Like if I got enough money, I will endow your castle, King, if you name me to be the archbishop. So you're King Hockman, right, King Brian, and I want to be the archbishop, and I got some dough, so I will endow, and so your castle will always be fitted out with gold, and for the return of that, you name me to be archbishop, and I just bought that position. That was called simony. <laughs> Isn't that a cool thing? So the word actually came from Acts chapter 8. This is the, the face of someone who just learned that. I did not did know Did you not that. know that? Yeah. That <laughs> makes total sense yeah. now that you yeah. frame it that you way. You look at your church history okay. books, and if you bought a church yeah. position— I've heard that term, but never knew Simony. where it came from. But. It's because of Simon uh, here in chapter 8. He wanted to buy it. Isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> Those are interesting little things yeah. that are kind of fun once in a while. And I'll tell you what, a little—why uh, don't I know that little piece of— garbage history or whatever you want to call it, whatever. Um, I was privileged in my seminary days to have a year out and uh, be a dormitory supervisor also uh, at Luther Prep in Watertown before I graduated and did it in Saginaw. But in Watertown as a dorm, I was also teaching a class and I was teaching Roman and medieval history to sophomores in high school. So I had a chance to review some of the stuff that we studied, high school and college, and then to teach it to these sophomores at high school. And we came across this issue of the church in the Middle Ages and then Middle Ages, in the, in the medieval days. Sure. You know, and then this term simony has always yep. been a part of it because that's where that comes from. So anyway, that's how I kind of Very remember that stuff. Yeah. See, even I'm learning something <laughs> on the podcast today. That's well, uh, it's, it's better yet to go and watch God work. You, you just you see this happen now, right? Because we just did chapters 1 to 7. It's all about the Jerusalem efforts and the early church. But you get chapters 8 through 12. We're transitioning now into the concentric circle, gospel going wider to uh, Judea Samaria. And of course, the good news of the saving love of our God is going to touch the hearts of people who are not Jewish. Yep. We see it here in chapter 8, right? 
And now we get a real right in our face one when Philip is taken by God to have this encounter with a guy from Ethiopia. And guess what his skin color would have to be? He would have been black. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting to me that I have this on a podcast one time when we were together doing this maybe a couple of years ago. But I've been privileged to have another hat besides my normal thing is be pastor at Grace with you, which I you know dearly love and treasure. And uh, but I also do some work for our church body, so I get to go to synod conventions. And a couple of conventions ago, we have this unique privilege at synod conventions to to welcome into oneness in faith and practice, doctrine and practice in fellowship, a church body from somewhere around the globe. And so at the uh, convention I'm thinking of, I can still see it was in Watertown, Wisconsin, is uh, Dr. Kabedi and uh, from the Ethiopian Lutheran Church. And I got to meet him personally, shake his head, talk to him. He's just a brilliant man and wonderful. And so with the Ethiopian Lutherans that we're in fellowship with, but I asked him, can you tell me just in a brief nutshell of how it's possible that they're in Ethiopia, are these Christians and who are Lutheran? Now you're, you know, Lutherans. And he told me his own story of how he had a Lutheran background and he studied in our um, cousins, with our cousins in a Lutheran church, Missouri Senate Seminary and then he kept studying the Bible and found that his connection to his God and the truth of Scripture would work even more intensely to be part of our wells. So he broke away from what he had in his own independent church and brought us into fellowship. But I asked him also about Christianity in Ethiopia. He said, it is absolutely true. We can trace historically Christianity in Ethiopia to this Bible incident in Acts chapter 8. Oh, yeah. He said, Philip and this Ethiopian, that dude came back and he said, I'm a Christian because of this story right here. I thought that was pretty cool. Told and his you, friends, huh? Yep. And so that, that my friend, started. Dr. Kibede, could, could actually, tr- they, could, they could go back and trace Christianity in Ethiopia to Philip. And this Ethiopian, I thought that just blew my socks off. Yeah, this is a 2,000 years ago. I was you know? say, which tells you that it's been there for 2,000 right. years. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty. Our wild. Wells is going to be celebrating 175 years within a year after we celebrated at Grace, right? And that's what's that compared to 2000 the, the Christians in Ethiopia. So it's a beautiful connection with our Savior and with uh, the message of Acts chapter 8. It's just this is this is one of my favorites too because I've heard of this happening. I was at a uh, visiting a different convention, a story very similar where a missionary talked about being on an was, was it here? That was here. That was John Bear's presentation. That was John Bear's story. That's right. That was here. That's right. Who was About who the, was walking through the hotel lobby? I forget. Was, wasn't that court right up in like in British Columbia? It was. Was that the story? Yes. And he had some China. Was it an elevator story or the lobby? It was hotel? in the lobby. It was here. I forgot where I was. Yeah. Yes. And it was. And he had the same thing with the Isaiah passage. A Chinese man, and he <laughs> he said, "You're a Christian. I'm, read, I'm reading Isaiah. Can you tell me what this talk? <laughs> Dude, is? I can't believe Jeff Corey didn't pass out <laughs> hearing that <laughs> question. Like, am I in a Bible story? Yeah, what's, what's like, happening? Am right I now? Philip right now? <laughs> yes, I am. Right. You know? So that's just it's a cool. And here's water. Let's get baptized. I mean, that's just so. We could go on, you know, for hours and hours in this podcast talking about how beautiful a, a chapter this is with this story. But wow, when you think about the global impact of this one incident, and then you know the chapter doesn't quite end, which with you could glory and rejoice in this wonderful incident where a man is reading the scriptures and Philip expound, you know, expounds on Isaiah, 50, which which is the mountaintop of the book of Isaiah, chapters forty to sixty six. You line these up, the center of it 
the most important is Mount Calvary, uh, like on its mountain. I have 53 is the middle chapter of those 27 is right there. Okay. So chapters 40 to 66 of the book of Isaiah are centered and they're grouped in threes. And those threes circle together in nines and the nine and nine and nine and right in the middle is chapter 52, 54, 53, and, and 53 is on the mountaintop of, and there it is. And that's what this guy is. It is the clearest gospel proclamation in the Old Testament. This is what the guy is reading. Yeah. And Philip is, I just, whoa, you know, it's a big, get goosebumps, you know. And then his reaction, <laughs> you know, Philip isn't like, well, let's go search out some water for, ba-. he says, <laughs> hey, 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 look at that. <laughs> hey, why don't you <laughs> baptize me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh man. man. What a cool expression of faith and, yeah. and way that the spirit works. And something From that we don't want to miss. Clarity there. Right, is how it concludes. And then, you know, this is done. And then when you get to verse 39, and they came up out of the water. Spirit suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. And what happens? God just, whoa, it's like, beam me up, Scotty. This is the old Star right. Wars, right? And just, and God takes Philip to Azotus and traveled about preaching. Well, what is that? Um, when we study our Old Testament and we watch the Israelites occupy the promised land, they have to fight off bad guys and they never clean it up. And the inveterate enemies they always had on the southwest side or along the coast, the Philistines, right? And you always have a listing of those Philistine cities. The five, yeah. Right. Well, the four, then the fifth one is added, right? There's there, there's Gaza and Ashdod and Ashkelon. Yeah. And right? Gath. Yeah. At, at, in the Gaza Strip. Gath and Ashkelon. Yeah. And you know, Asdod. Yeah. Right. And so so Ashkelon and Ashdod, you know, those are but that is direct connection is Azotus. Okay. So we're in the Gaza Strip, and those are, you know, Greek eyes names of those same old Philistine cities. So I just think that's interesting. That's where the Gaza Strip we hear about in the news once in a while when there's problems in yep. Israel and stuff like that, and that's along the coast in the old historic Philistine area. And after having this conversation with the Ethiopian, God takes them now to this territory and says, "You're at, see the Mediterranean, the waves coming in. Now you walk along the beach and you have some, you know, put on your sandals and go talk to people. This is right. this is pretty cool." And we had just talked about miracles. Um, making the message more concrete and and having an impact on those who were who it was to whom it was preached. Yeah. So imagine now this disappearance act from the eunuch's perspective. Like here, he's got this message. This guy's got a somewhat compelling answer to the question, and now there's a miracle. Now he's gone. Like, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> this, and what would this that must have been yeah. real? And what would that dude do? I still got the scriptures, right? And that's what I got. Here, here and there, it is. There it is. I can go. So um, Ashdod is uh, is renamed into Azotus in later time, and then that's how the chapter ends. And it's just the same message of God's love that would have opened the doors of heaven for Stephen in the previous chapter. And and now Saul is kind of, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this these people go away. But a little taste what's coming later. Then you have Philip widening the circle of that saving love of Jesus into this goofy territory called, you know, those icky people, Samaritans, and the apostles saying, wow, that's ha-. And then to someone from Ethiopia, and now he's along where the ancient Philistines were living, and it really, and the saving love of Jesus works on their hearts, and it worked on mine and on yours. Isn't that something? Yeah. Gospel going to places you wouldn't expect it to go, and yeah. and, and working at saving power yeah. even there. 
And uh, places you wouldn't think it would go, like your heart and like my heart. It's in, uh, but and the gospel's happened. there yeah. by God's grace, and and, and it, good it works and it saves. It opens heaven. It sure does. And we know, of course, yeah, this, this is, is most, most certainly, certainly true. Thanks for listening. We'd love to share more about God's love with you. Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot of information about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.